There will be now an opportunity for silent prayer or meditation. Please be seated. For those who are not yet seated, please take up your seats. Honorable members, in the interest of safety for all present in the chamber, please keep your mask on and sit in your designated area and restrict your movements as far as possible. The first item on today's order paper is questions addressed to the ministers in cluster three, governance. There are four supplementary questions on each question. Parties have given an indication of which questions their members wish to pose a supplementary question on. An adequate notice was given to parties for this purpose. This was done to facilitate participation of members who are connecting to the sitting through the virtual platform and the members who will pose supplementary questions will first be recognized by the presiding officer. And in allocating opportunities for supplementary questions, the principle of fairness amongst others have been applied. If a member who is supposed to ask a supplementary question through the virtual platform is unable to do so due to technical problems, the party whip on duty will be allowed to ask the question on behalf of their member. When all the supplementary questions have been answered by the member of the executive, we will then proceed to the next question on the order paper. The question, the first, has been asked by the Honorable Hendricks to the Minister in the Presidency for Women. Honorable members to the left, I'm busy addressing the House and you are just carrying on as if the House hasn't started yet. The first question has been asked by the Honorable Hendricks to the Minister in the Presidency for Women, Youth and Persons with Disabilities. I've been informed that the Honorable Minister will be answering questions through the virtual platform. The Honorable Minister. on the platform. I am uh, Chair. I'm waiting for you to reply to the question, Honourable Minister. Yes, I am. Can you hear me? I can hear you, Honourable Minister. You may proceed. Okay. Uh, Honourable Chair and Honourable Members, the department is working with national and provincial departments, uh, local government uh, structures, civil society organizations, and other stakeholders to ensure that the, the reduction and total eradication, if we can, of gender-based violence and femicide does happen. Um, the department 
provides technical support to national and provincial departments to develop smart implementation plans on the national strategic plan on gender-based violence and femicide and monitors all of them against these plans. We are working with local government to establish multi-stakeholders, multi gender-based violence and femicide rapid response teams that aim to provide holistic, coordinated support to victims of gender-based violence and femicide. With regard to implementing empowerment programs, you will recall that the empowerment of women is under pillar five of the national strategic plan on gender-based violence and femicide. In this regard, the responsibility of empowerment of women in order to access economic opportunities has been allocated to all government departments with an emphasis on the, those within economic sectors, investments, employment, and infrastructure development cluster, including the private sector. The role of the Department of Women, Youth, and Persons with Disabilities is to monitor progress made by the economic cluster departments in empowering women and ensuring accessibility of economic opportunities and resources according to the, to the targets identified in the National Strategic Plan Monitoring and Evaluation Plan. Monthly pro uh, progress reports are provided by the respective departments and the department monitors the implementation through raising issues of concern to be addressed by the respective departments at the monthly director general's uh, cluster meeting and FOSAT clusters. The national strategic uh, plan on gender-based violence and femicide is a state sending agenda uh, item to all uh, FOSAT or DG's clusters meeting. The department and the presidency are embarking on ongoing capacity building regarding empowerment of women and owned businesses uh, in public and procurement projects. I thank you. Thank you, Honorable Minister. The first supplementary question is to be asked by Honorable Hendricks. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Honorable House Chair. Honorable House Chair, thank you very much to the Minister for the high-level response. I think Parliament now understands uh, that uh, the Minister and uh, her department just plays a monitoring, monitoring role and we cannot really expect any tangible uh, uh, immediate benefits for women. Having said that, uh, will the Minister support a standby force in a pilot project in at least 100 hotspots that when alerted will come out and rescue women when they have been beaten up and take them to the nearest police station. Thank you very much, Honorable House Chair.
Thank you, the Honourable Minister. We, we play the role of making sure that we not only work with monitoring, but we also uh, follow up on those who are underperforming on this issue of women empowerment. President had said, Honorable President Ramakos, that even government departments should make sure that 40% of the procurement goes to women. So we work with all departments to make sure that this happens. As for gender-based violence and femicide, we work with all departments and call upon all departments, but also internationally, we use the influence of the, those who are working with us. But because gender-based violence and femicide, even at home, it happens in the backyard that there should be no spectator. This very month, we are dealing with issues of 16 days of activism. It is the responsibility of all of us to make sure that gender-based violence is not just a police matter. If my neighbor's wife is crying and I've had her, I should have done something myself. So there will be no spectator. I thank you. Thank you, Honourable Minister. The second supplementary question will be asked by the Honourable Ms. Kaula. Is the Honourable Kaula on the platform? Maybe struggling with the network chair. May I assist? Yes, you may proceed. Thank you. Minister, the problem of gender-based violence cuts across all classes in society, affecting the poor as much as it affects the rich. But if more women were to be empowered, not to depend on their abusers for a livelihood, may you be able to escape when here the red flags start showing. What concrete programs of work have you done targeted and lifting poor women out of poverty and dependence on men for livelihood? Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you. The Honourable Minister. Well, we really cannot agree more with uh, the Honourable Member. What are we doing? We follow the Constitution. We work under the we are a department in the presidency. What have, what, what have we done? We continue to monitor the progress, the economic cluster department's progress of empowering women in ensuring that, as you say, honorable member, women do not depend on the other. It shouldn't be that what we had a week ago 
before we traveled with the president uh, to make sure that this message of accelerating the gender disempowerment, we say this is the responsibility of the society. So access to economic empowerment is what is the responsibility of all government departments. So what have we done? We are working every day with all the stakeholders that I referred to when I started uh, this afternoon. Uh, before we left with the president, we, we also engaged with those who do not pay maintenance. We also work with the Department of Education, but to respond directly to your question, yes, this is not a poor woman's, uh, you know, a problem. Access to wealth. The next follow-up question is to be asked by the Honorable Piri. Sorry, Chair Order. Yes, Honorable Member. So, Chair, just give us a guidance. So, now we ask questions to the Minister regards to the gender-based violence, which is very critical and very sensitive. So, we don't get answers. So just give us a guidance. We, this is not just the talk show, but no, we need answers. Honorable member, you ask a follow-up question and the minister was in the process of responding to that question. And unfortunately, a time according to the rules ran out and I stopped her. So the next follow-up question is to be asked by the Honorable Piri. <laughs> Noting that there was an inadequate reporting in capturing the implementation of the work done by the collaboratives and stakeholders in monthly report, what measures have you put in place to ensure inadequate reporting in the implementation of the NSP, particularly work conducted by the collaboratives and other stakeholders. The Honourable Minister. Uh, and repeat what I said earlier on, that, that there, there is inadequate reporting. It's what we had identified and we follow up on those who had been under-reporting. We started from a base of less than 10. We are now moving, I'm talking about departments. Now almost 50% of the departments are not just reporting, but they feel the need to be doing something about giving women, women access and protecting women. Yes. The next supplementary question is to be asked by the Reverend Kayar J. Meshu. 
house chair. There seems to be a lack of agency on the part of government when it comes to fighting GBV and femicide. In March 2020, President Ramaphosa launched the National Strategic Plan to stop gender-based violence. This National Strategic Plan cannot be implemented, however, without a National Council on Gender-Based Violence and Femicide. And according to women's rights groups, the establishment of this council is still a long way off. The ACDP is of the opinion that the ANC should apologize to the nation for its support of ICOSA in that municipality. By so doing, it endorsed the sexual abuse of minors, the exploitation of women, and it continued to excuse rape by powerful men in the name of political expediency. My question, Honorable Minister, is whether you think that GBV and femicide can be eradicated from society when community members, particularly women, still support and defend men who have been found guilty of rape to be their leaders. Thank you. The Honourable Minister. Honourable Minister, please keep in mind that you only have two minutes to respond, so please don't repeat the question. Uh, thank you, Honourable Chair. GPBF is a societal challenge. It needs government and the society at large, including every other space where women and children find themselves. By that, I mean even a church. They should feel safe. They must be safe. The council, the formation of the gender-based violence council has moved all the steps as parliamentary convenes, we will be bringing the draft to parliament for permanent adoption so that we all work together. But working together, we have started. So if the uh, Honorable Reverend wants to join the party, welcome. This is the time to work together to deal with this pandemic because gender-based violence has become a pandemic. We have to adopt the council through parliament. I thank you, Chair. Thank you, um, Honorable Minister. Question number 365 has been asked by the Honorable Piri to the Minister in the Presidency for Women youth and persons with disabilities. The Honourable Minister. Um, Honourable Chair, COVID-19 restrictions have posed challenges in the implementation of the National Strategic Plan on gender-based violence and femicide because multi-stakeholder coordination is a main requirement uh, for its implementation in, in order to ensure that all stakeholders collaborate towards fighting gender-based violence and femicide in line with their stake, with their uh, mandates. In this regard, COVID-19 restrictions have also posed serious uh, challenges in restrictions in the ability of the various stakeholders who are key in fighting uh, gender-based violence and femicide
to gather and share plans, progress reports, work together in their efforts to effectively fight this uh, pandemic. Lack of capacity by provinces has also posed challenges in the ability of provinces to implement national strategic plan on gender-based violence and femicide. As a result, uh, a number of provinces are still in process of developing and monitoring and the evaluation plans of the national strategic plan of the gender-based violence and femicide uh, coordination structures. In the, uh, relation to the preliminary assessment of the, in, of the impact of the plan, the assessment will be done in the 2022-2023 financial year in partnership with the Department of Planning, Monitoring and Evaluation. Plans are in motion in this regard. Thank you, Chair. The first supplementary question will be asked by the Honorable Piri. NSP gender-based violence and femicide Richibambeza na face yo tom so riko no velera zwabu dizi songo fana na face yo tom nolibu wa mzula chitulu the honorable minister honorable ah imachar face two ya rima iko fana na face one what is important is we should keep women safe and that they should not be or be expected to continue facing the pandemic called COVID and have to be facing second pandemic called gender-based violence and femicide. So working with the monitoring and evaluation and with all the departments and working, I mean, we work with civil society to make sure that we eradicate this pandemic that we are faced with, which is man-made gender-based violence and femicide. While we have to be saying to all our people, particularly our women, and youth and people with disabilities that it seems COVID is not a visitor, so we have to continue observing all the COVID protocols, all of us, but protect our women, youth and persons with disabilities. Let's feel and be safe. Let's not have an over-dependency on police. COVID is in our midst. The responsibility government has equally the, is, is access to uh, the, 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 the vaccines. But our people must also be ready to receive the 
vaccines so that we join the head uh, community because our people would have cooperated with government in, make, in eradicating both gender-based violence and also make sure that they survive COVID-19. I thank you, Chief. The next follow-up question order is to be asked by the Honorable Sharif. Thank you very much, House Chair. Minister, we know it's festive, we're all tired. Please try and answer our questions, please. Your department has reported that only 15 departments have submitted their monitoring and evaluation plans on the implementation of the NSP. What intervention, other than writing strongly worded letters to DGs, will you put in place to ensure, one, MNE plans are submitted, and two, all departments involved in implementation of the NSP is being monitored? Minister, we know you can answer the questions. Go ahead. Honorable Minister, <laughs> no, you, we, we, don't, we don't interact with one another in this way. You can't give an instruction to the minister to go ahead. You ask the question, Mr. Presiding Officer, and I will do so. Honourable Minister. Well, uh, uh, during daytime we interact, and we, with the Honourable uh, uh, Member, we make sure that NSP is on gender-based violence and femicide is implemented. She has been to many of our occasions. So we also make sure that there is no government called national. Yes, there's national government, but this pandemic that we are talking about of uh, gender-based violence and femicide is actually take, to take, take place at the base where we live. So, even provinces are responding. Those that have also responded positively, currently it's Kozulu Natal, Gauteng, Limpopo, and Eastern Cape province. So we call upon all other provinces that are still developing uh, their winter um, uh, and evaluation plans on NSP uh, or on gender-based violence to do so, so that we reach out to all and make sure that our women and girl children not only feel safe, but are safe. As I indicated, we will prioritize the preliminary assessment on the impact of national strategic plan in 2022-2023 financial year in partnership with the Department of Monitoring and Evaluation. Thank you. The next supplementary question is to be asked by the Honorable Sonti. Is there a whip from the EFF who are going to take the follow-up question on behalf of the uh, Honourable I will take it, Honourable Chair. Please proceed. 
Thank, uh, thank you, House Chairperson. Um, Minister, your portfolio requires that in order to be effective, you must settle the work of various departments. Are you not concerned that the police department in particular have proven to be weakened, the weak link in fighting GBV and femicide? If you are, what sort of engagement are you having with the Minister of Police to come to the party? I thank you. Thank you, Honourable Member. The Honourable Minister. Um, thank you, Honourable Chair and uh, Honourable Member. We work and follow up and visit sites without the Minister. He doesn't visit sites, Minister of Police. He doesn't visit sites with us. We go independently to monitor and see what is happening on the ground. If we like, like we visited with bank, we went during the daytime. If it's okay for us, we also visit in evenings as we did in Marble Hall to make sure that all that which can help protect our women and girl children happen, should happen. When the time comes for us to On a point of order, House Jefferson, on a point of order. What's the point of order, Honourable Member? I think the, man, the Minister didn't hear my question correct, uh, Honourable House Chair. If she didn't hear it correct, may I repeat it for her? Because I yeah. asked her what Honorable Shlankwini, uh, yes. I think for the for the sake of the minister, just repeat the question again. Yeah, I think I will I will repeat it, House Chairperson. Order honorable members. Yeah, because I can I could pick up she didn't hear shame. Just repeat yeah, the question. Uh, Minister, your portfolio requires that you are effective and you must do work with various departments. Are you not concerned that the police department in particular have proven to be the weak link in the fight against GBV and femicide? If you are, what sort of engagements are you having with the police department and the minister to bring and come to the party in fighting GBV. Minister. Thank you, Honorable Minister. I will repeat what I said earlier on. We work with the Order, Minister. No wonder we are where we are. Give the Minister a chance. We have, we have the constitutional responsibility to work with the Minister not to work for the minister. So that's why when, we, when we, 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 we get reports that we must visit sites, we go on our own so that when we bring back reports and engage with the minister, we do it after having convinced ourselves that that which is needed is being done, if not done, we have, through the mandate we have, work with all departments, including the police. We engage the minister.
but we don't engage with him without even going on sites. That's why I, I repeated visiting sites so that if somebody comes back and say, no, Minister of Police has not done this. Minister of Police work with the police personnel. So that's why we feel the need to visit places in provinces on our own. Somewhere they are good, somewhere you feel here there's a need. Where we feel the need to engage the minister, we do so. So if we have to bring you with uh, honorable member, we say so. But we have full-time engagements with the minister of police. But he is not the only soul. It's important that we work with all stakeholders, but also all that the, the police personnel who are working on this uh, on, 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 on gender-based violence and femicide needs the specialty. They need special extra training. And we are working with the UN to make sure that those who have been identified by the police to do this work are fully trained. They mustn't be saying, I've beaten my wife last night, so how can I take your case? So that's the of the minister only. Honorable Minister, your time is now expired. The next follow-up question is to be asked by the Honorable Briet. Thank you, Honorable House Chair. Minister, above and beyond the GVVF National Strategic Plan, there is existing legislation, sexual offences courts, etc., that are currently not functioning, that can contribute to not only the National Strategic Development Plan, or NSP, sorry, but to combating GVF. These existing methods of combating GBVF do not necessarily fall under your portfolio, but should be seen in collective with what your department is doing and in terms of the national strategic plan. What plans are there from your department to ensure that we take a collective approach and departments do not function in silos, as has been the case with many other governmental projects? I thank you. Thank you, the Honourable Minister. Honorable uh, Chair, the department works with all responsible ministers, departments that are in, peace, are in security, security cluster, including justice. We also have, you have, you have passed through three bills that you refer to as not only the department, that is that fall under justice. Justice is a mem mem member of our cluster. So justice needs to be seen to be doing or making justice. I think we have to make justice police and other departments fully responsible as they do. We work with all of them because there's a need for us to do that. 
<laughs> Is that a response, Honorable Minister? I can hear you. I say, Honorable Minister, are you through with your response? Well, uh, uh, we've said the departments that fall under the IMC, Interministerial Committee, continue to work together under the committees, two committees, in fact, of uh, economic development and also the FOSAT, which is a cluster of uh, DGs and security cluster to make sure that that which we commit to happen. I am talking here about the interministerial committee that, that was appointed by the president. So all those departments take responsibility and full responsibility. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Minister. Honorable members, we will now move to the next question, which is question number 366. That has also been asked to the Honourable Minister in the Presidency for Women, Youth and Persons with Disabilities by the Honourable Shlongo. The Honourable Minister. Uh, Honourable Chair, the National Youth Development Agency has in the financial year 2021 up to the end of November supported 9,000 young people with non-financial support to start and scale up their own enterprises. The agency has also supported 821 youth-owned enterprises or startups with financial support. Furthermore, the National Treasury has provided an additional 30 million rands through the Presidential Employment Stimulus to support an additional 1,000 youth-owned enterprises with grant funding in the 2021-2022 financial year. The Minister of Small Business Development during the month of November 2021 established in partnership with the Ecosystem Development for Small Enterprise, the 300 million Youth Change Fund, which is a youth startup uh, to support and, pro and, and a program intended to stimulate the establishment and growth of youth-owned businesses. This program is also aims to grow the economy and foster job creation. In line with national youth policy, the Youth Challenge Fund with, will be providing support to the youth startup business enterprises with a goal of meeting the 15,000 target, the 15,000 startups as a target to be met by NYDA and the Department of Small Business by 2024. In relation to monitoring the impact the program is having on the target groups in the small, medium, and micro enterprise sector and coordinating committee has been established across the Department of Trade and Industry, the Department of Small Business, including its entities, CEFA, 
and CEDA, and the, the Industrial Development Corporation, the National Empowerment Fund, and the NYDA, which coordinates the ecosystem of support to young people and the youth-owned enterprises, and as line of sight to the Presidency Project Management Office. Coordinating committee will also monitor the impact of support rendered to young people. I thank you, Chair. Honourable members, I've been informed that the Honourable Masonda will take charge of the question number 366 in accordance with Rule 137. The Honourable Masondo. Thank you, Chairperson. Can the Minister provide us with a detailed report on the impact of the support rendered to young people on the 15,000 startups? Thank you, Chair. The Honourable Minister. Well, uh, the, 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 the feedback that I've just given you when I read out the responsibility and the work we've been doing with the departments is what we are doing. And I have listed the numbers for you. If Chair want me to repeat, I will, because we are also utilizing internal programs that I had referred to, but 9,000 up to so far, up to the end of uh, 2021, I said November 2021, 9,000 young people have been given support on startups by the National Youth Agency. And even given support on non-financial support. So the, we, we, if, 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 if we, we are on the youth only, it's, it's okay, because the pillar number five talks to of the National Strategic Plan is emphasizing the need and the effort we should take in interventions to boost the economic uh, well-being of young people and women. Thank you, Honourable Minister. The next follow-up question is to be asked by the Honourable Piti. Thank you, House Chairperson. Minister, even your own ANC Colleagues in the benches are laughing at you. Honorable Mpiti, order, 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 honorable members. Honorable Mpiti, may I advise you, you mustn't address the house with your hands in your pockets. Please, you may proceed. Thank you. Um, honorable Minister, youth unemployment is at 77%, and unfortunately, I will not be respectful or palatable with you. What exactly have you done with the 9,000 youth entrepreneurs who have received assistance from the department, have their businesses been able to succeed? Because the best 
advice I can give you is to resign because you are failing to answer the questions. When we have a crisis in this country of youth unemployment, young people are unemployed, we have failed in your job. The best thing you can do right now for us is to resign. Honorable Minister. Honorable Mbiti. When women, youth, and persons with disabilities are given an opportunity to not only depend on the other. When COVID stops making their business difficult, you will see that all of us will remain honorable members. Those who, you in the committee, you in particular honorable, because we have just, just come back with the president traveling the West Africa to see if there's something that we are not doing, which they do. Reality is access, access to finance, real access so that educated young people do not feel the need to depend on the others to survive. But COVID has not been kind to us. COVID-19 has slowed down all programs of all governments and all economies throughout the world. So we have not been found to be lonely. It's not a good sight in our neighborhood where women and young people have to depend on the others to survive. You are talking about the things that we cannot do alone. You and I cannot do alone. We have to get business, big business also to come to the party so that young people do not go looking for jobs, but jobs find them. Because in the past, we used to say, oh, they need uh, to be educated. They also now need skills, something that we are working on with the uh, Department of Basic Education and uh, with higher education, skills skills that are relevant to the need of the hour in our business of governance. House Chairperson. House Chairperson. Yes, where is this Over intervention? Here? Yes. House Chairperson, it's on numerous occasions that the minister is not actually listening and answering to the questions being posed. Um, it is an indictment of Jache didn't. What is your point of order, My Honourable point Member? is, Minister, why is the Minister not answering the questions that is being posed? And the second one is, one of the ANC members sitting over there, please ask her to wear a mask over there. Purple. Honourable Thanks. Members, I always remind Honourable Members that when you ask a follow-up question, it should be one follow-up question. The Honourable Minister was trying to answer the first part of the follow-up question that was being asked by the Honourable Piti. Now, you may disagree with me. You asked two follow-up questions. The Minister couldn't get even to the second one. So, 
in this instance, her time has now expired. I would request the Honourable Minister to be more brief and to the point to the questions that are being asked. I'm not in a position to judge if the response that the Honourable Minister is given is sufficient, the members on the committee and those who are working in that area is in a better position to do so. But I would like to request the Honourable Minister to be more brief and to the point so that we can get through the session. And it is to the benefit of the National Assembly, not only to the members who are asking the questions, but also those in the House and those who are on the virtual platform. Secondly, I've requested at the beginning of the session that all members please observe the necessary COVID-19 protocols that includes the wearing of a mask and also to observe the necessary social distance. And all of us are under the obligation to do so. Um, we will proceed to the next follow-up question that is being asked by the Honorable Sonti. It will be uh, done on behalf of the Honorable Sonti because she is not on the platform at the moment. Is there a whip from the EFF? Yeah, okay, I will take it. <clears throat> Minister, we know that most of the President's SONA commitment have been empty shells of no substance. The reality of men, rural women, and young women in particular point to the fact that the state has ignored the sector of South African society. What interventions have you made directed mainly at rural young women to support their businesses' innovations? If you have made any such intervention as a minister in your department, may you kindly mention just three. I know three is very difficult for you. We can also just mention one in this case because I don't think that we can be able to mention three. Thank you, Chair. The Honourable Minister. Um, our responsibility, Honourable Chair, is to make sure that all women, particularly rural, gain access, rural and township, whether they're in Soweto or Mamelodi or Toyando, they gain access to financial support so that they would not be feeling the need to remain in the neighborhood that they don't want to. I thank you, Chair. Point of order, Chairperson. Yes, Honorable okay. Member. Uh, Chairperson, once again, the Minister is not responding to the question that our member posed. Um, we asked for an example of where such intervention has taken place and nothing of that is forthcoming. The Minister referred to, to a shell. We were referring to an empty shell that is the President's SONA address. No, thank you, Honourable Member. Honourable Minister, do you have any specific information you want to share with us? I have a, a responsibility. Like the Honourable Members say, that businesses that are rural-based and township-based also get access from government-owned as 
or is. So there are not three, there are many, but then we need more because our economy Paulson, I have not recognized you to speak. And secondly, you are not the person who even asked the follow-up question. So please don't interrupt the Honourable Minister while she's trying to respond. Honourable Minister. I am saying that uh, the women and young people who have been targeted have been even shown the door where they should be asking for support. Be they from the Soweto or Toyando or Mamilodi or wherever. The businesses that you want me to call by names are a responsibility of the Minister of Small Business and I have been given the assurance that they are taking place in those areas that I have just listed. So, uh, if you want the list, Chair, we will come with the Minister of Small Business and give you a list of more than three. Because what I had observed is that when the president said 40% of procurement of government must be to our people, we moved from 13% to almost 40. So the three, you will get them in the neighborhoods I have I've listed. Thank you, Chair. Order, Chair. Thank you, Honourable Minister. Yes, Honourable Mkalipi. Is this the oversight that as members of parliament you're supposed to do? Honourable Mkalipi, I listened to the follow-up question and it's quite clear that the minister... It's quite clear the Honourable Minister is not in a position to supply that information. I would suggest that that information is made available to the members of this portfolio committee. Um, and with the working with the uh, Ministry of Small Business Development, um, that is the best that we can do under these uh, circumstances. The Honourable Schlenk, Honourable Kalipi, you are not audible. Honourable Schlengwa. Thank you, House Chair. Honourable Minister, in recent meeting of the Portfolio Committee on Women, Youth and Persons with Disability on the performance of the National Youth Development Agency. Concerns were raised in the amount paid for project management and implementing agents, which were as high as 15%, which impact other targets. What is being done to investigate these concerns, what criteria is used to determine the reasonable amount to be paid for implementing agents in the fulfillment of projects focusing on uplifting the thing? The Honourable Minister. 
Honorable Chair, we have shared with the House the activities, the information on the activities of the NYDA on their activities up to the end of November 2021. It has taken even the responsibility and time of this honorable house to appoint a new board of the NYDA, which has just been appointed through this Honorable House. So we will follow up as we have shared the information on what has happened till date and watch what will be happening beyond this with the new board that you have just approved. Thank you. Honourable members, let's proceed to the next question, number 386, that has been asked by the Honourable Brink to the Minister of Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs. I've been informed that the Deputy Minister will be answering questions on behalf of the Minister. The Honourable Deputy Minister Bapela. Thank you very much, Chairperson, and greetings to the House. The development of sustainable regulatory measures needed for the control of COVID-19 beyond the national state of disaster in terms of existing legislation administered by the respective ministries is in progress. Notably is that relevant sector departments have been requested to accelerate the phasing in of COVID-19 resilience measures using their respective existing legislative frameworks. For example, health department has already begun and then also tourism has just concluded theirs and then and others obviously uh, will then be initiating and finalizing. And then at the point when the cabinet ministers are ready, they will then be uh, giving uh, uh, this particular uh, work attention and then they will definitely then indicate those particular areas. A specific date by which the national state of disaster is to be lifted cannot be provided at this stage. But it is important to reiterate that all lockdown restrictions will be lifted and the state of disaster will be terminated as soon as it is determined that the need to augment existing legislation and contingency arrangements through the disaster management regulation is no longer required to assist and protect the public, provide relief to the public, protecting property, preventing or combating disruption or dealing with the destructive and other effects of the disaster. Thank you very much. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Minister. The Honorable Brink. Thank you, Chair. Constitutions are made not only by written instruments, but also by conventions, by habits of doing. 
And every time that the minister extends the national state of disaster by ministerial determination without consulting parliament or anybody else, she's creating a certain convention that can be abused. Now, the president has said to parliament that ongoing assessments are being made by the National Coronavirus Command Council and cabinet to determine satisfactory conditions for terminating or allowing the state of disaster to lapse. The Deputy Minister has not given any details of what those conditions are in response to this question, only vague references to certain departments. When will the Minister be in a position to inform Parliament when satisfactory conditions are in place so that we can get out of a national state of disaster? Please give us the details. Thank you, Chair. The Honourable Deputy Minister. Uh, thank you very much, Chairperson. And thanks to the honourable member. Uh, as I indicated, that two departments are almost ready. Is the Department of uh, Health. They have drafted four sets of regulations to amend existing regulations to substantially deal with matters such as the port health, communicable disease control, etc. The state law advisors are still currently being consulted on these regulations and the draft regulations will then be published for public comment when the internal policy process has been completed. And the Minister of Quokta, therefore, is just awaiting that process and many others that obviously health is engaging on. Another example is the Department of Tourism, as earlier indicated, which has published norms and standards for the safe operations of the tourism sector in the context of COVID-19 and other related pandemics. These norms and standards have now been approved by the cabinet and may be published in due course. And I think when those happens, then I think the details and the response, some of the responses will be there. And the minister, as this emerges out of these particular processes, will then definitely come to parliament and give those particular indications where obviously the Disaster uh, Management Act will no longer be in use, but these uh, new protocols and uh, measures uh, will then be introduced and then take over. Uh, and, and then I think that's the, the response that uh, one can give for now. But the minister, at the point when everything is ready, uh, will then be able to come to parliament to present. Thank you. The next follow-up question is to be asked by the Honorable Direko. Uh, thank you, Chair. Uh, Honorable Deputy Minister, having spent about two years uh, learning about COVID-19 pandemics, what lesson can be drawn and, uh, from the international experiences regarding the further management and the timing of lifting the national state of disaster? Thank you. The Honorable Deputy Minister. Thank you, Chairperson, and thank you, Honorable Member. Uh, we are indeed uh, taking lessons from other countries. There's a study that has been made uh, in nine African countries as to how they reacted to the pandemic as it was growing and spreading. And then quite a number of useful lessons, including South Africa in that nine countries in the sub-Saharan, that were now beginning to look. Obviously, people at the beginning, they used the state of emergencies to react to the situation. With us, we opted for the state of disaster. And then, but as time went, obviously they started adopting by strengthening the regulations uh, on, on health and whatever other 
aspects that were needed by that particular country. For example, in Lesotho, uh, they've never used any disaster or any state of emergency. It's another lesson. They've been using protocols and measures uh, that they will then use. And other countries, they will then use what you call the presidential decrees uh, because their constitution does allow that. But obviously, going forward, in, uh, it just then to, okay, sorry, in the UK also, they did use a state of emergency at the beginning, but they've now since moved out of that. And then they are now using other measures that they've now started building in uh, uh, so that they, they can also help. So what we are therefore saying that uh, having learned from these countries, uh, these measures that the Department of Health and then tourism and other departments that are going to be coming forth, they will also be learning and then taking some of the measures and using them in the existing instruments that are there and augmenting and strengthening those instruments so that there's no more need for the, the disaster act to be used. And, uh, and therefore those lessons are useful and we are taking a lot of lessons from these countries. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Minister. The third supplementary question will be asked by the Honorable Teza through the virtual platform. Thank you very much, Chairperson uh, uh, of the House. Deputy uh, Minister, pivotal to the issues pertaining to the disaster management is the question of time timeframes. From the experience we've had with the with COVID for the past 20 months or so, it is now crystal clear that tighter lockdowns do not lower the rates of infections. That which we need is a, is a societal consensus of vaccinations. Despite the availability of vaccinations and the devastation brought by previous lockdowns, is there a possibility that you would still tighten the national state of disaster and have the president impose even stricter restrictions on society? Thank you very much. Thank you, the Honorable Deputy Minister. Thank you very much, House Chairperson, and thanks to Honorable Member. Uh, indeed, I mean, the, the tighter controls uh, uh, are, are also not just uh, creating pain for society, but also having uh, an impact negatively on the economy, uh, which is struggling itself. And I think you all know that COVID had also contributed to, 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 to our economic growth. Uh, and then and, and not growing uh, in the expected uh, forecast and then targeted figures. And, and, and therefore, we, the government is quite sensitive really to just rush for lockdowns. And then even now, uh, as we are entering fourth wave, we'll then have to look at other measures to control movements, to control the super spreaders, wherever they are and whatever they have been identified, and then informed by signs and also informed by what is happening in the health sector, particularly the hospitals that are filling up at some point, will then have to then begin to regulate and then, and, and then use the differentiated aspects so, so that we don't then go for a total lookout, but we also we then have to look at those differentiated methodologies of control. Because at the end, we have to control the spread so that we can save lives, but at the same time, not harm the economy. Uh, and if only we can call on our people also, I know that there, there are those who say they don't believe in vaccinations, uh, really to go for vaccinations and, and, and then see if we cannot begin to unlock a lot of the economic activities and social life that people are yearning for. But for now, we'll use whatever measures that are there to save lives whilst also ensuring that livelihoods continues.
Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Minister. The last supplementary question will be asked by the Honorable S.A. Butelezi. Um, thank you, House Chair. Um, Deputy Minister, given that we have seen various new strains of uh, the COVID-19 virus with new infections resulting in prolonged restrictions, and we do not want to be stuck in a perpetual state of lockdown, what measures are government current, is government currently, currently putting into place to lessen restrictions on those who have been fully vaccinated? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, Honourable Member. The Honourable Deputy Minister. Thank you very much, House Chairperson, and thank you, Honourable Member. Well, obviously, vaccination, as we are calling on our people really to, to do, and I know there's a debate going on whether it should be mandatory or not mandatory. Uh, and, then, and then, obviously, there are those who are opting for uh, a, a free areas that will be only visited by... Uh, vaccinated people, but obviously there are those who are already calling for discrimination uh, if such uh, activity happens. At the workplace, quite a number of companies are, are taking various decisions uh, for their own employees. And, uh, and and I think it's a societal issue that all of us ought then to begin to then say, what else can we do to save uh, life but at the same time to ensure that as many of us are vaccinated and those who are vaccinated have access uh, to those areas that uh, were prohibited in the past. In soccer, as you will know, therefore, that you can't go to the stadium unless you are vaccinated. And this is just but a few of those examples that are emerging. We hope, therefore, that association groups, uh, companies, uh, individuals, uh, NGOs, and everybody will then also make their own determination uh, in a way that is, it's, it does accommodate, but at the same time, make those who do not want to vaccinate also feel wanting to belong, but also to see if they cannot also opt for, for the vaccination so that they can enjoy those particular safer spots. But uh, the, the world is reacting differently to a different situation that is new to all of us. And we hope, therefore, that as these measures come in, there will be a buy-in and societal uh, awareness and conscientization that we also have to embark on so that we can move uh, all of us in the same direction. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Minister. Honorable Members, question number 377 has been asked by the Honorable Mkalipi to the Minister of Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs. The Honorable Deputy Minister Bapela will respond to this question. Thank you very much, House Chairperson. There is currently a total of eight traditional leadership disputes involving the department, which are before the courts, namely the Amathubi kingship dispute, Vavenda kingship dispute, rescission application by Abatembu of Khode, Amambondo kingship dispute, Babedi kingship dispute, Amambondo Misa kinship disputes, Amazulu kinship dispute, and the Amatosa kinship disputes. As these cases are still before the courts, we may not disclose further details on their merits or otherwise. The department has the following interventions for those traditional leadership disputes that are not before the courts. The, the Traditional and Coercion Leadership Act, uh, number three of 2019, 
has been passed into law, and Section 59 therefore provides an enabling process in terms of which disputes can be referred to the President and Premiers for investigations. The Department has assisted kingships, queenships, principal traditional leaders, uh, leadership royal families in the development of their customary laws of succession and genealogies to guide their processes of identifying their leaders for submission to the president for recognition. As some of the disputes arises as to who should be ascending to the throne. To date, the department has developed customary laws of succession and geologies for seven kingships, queenships, principal traditional leadership. The Department of Traditional Affairs is currently developing guidelines for royal families on the development of customary laws of succession and genealogies and capacitating them in this regard. The guidelines will be finalized by the end of the current financial year. Thank you very much. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Minister. The first supplementary question will be asked by the Honorable Kalipi. Thank you very much, President. Honorable Mbana will switch off your microphone. Honorable Mkalipi, my apologies, you may continue. Thank you very much, Chairs of Chairs. Uh, DM, I'm very happy because you also the Deputy Minister of Traditional uh, Affairs. Uh, and then I'm very happy that uh, amongst the list that you mentioned is the Zulu Kingdom. So therefore, the question that I have for Minister uh, is, is as follows. That the most high profile of these cases must surely be that uh, relating to the Zulu Kingdom. Some sections of the society are of the view that your department is secretly in support of those who do not want King Mrs. Zulu to ascend to the throne, and that you have been using non-ANC members of the royal family to frustrate the process. Please, Deputy Minister, as you work with the minister, tell us here, tell the nation, what practical steps have you taken to support King Mrs. Zulu up until all these matters have been resolved? Thank you much, Chairperson. Thank you, the Honorable Deputy Minister. Thank you, House Chairperson. Uh, and thank you to the Honourable Member for the question. It is not true that uh, there are any secret meetings that have been engaged with anybody uh, in the Zulu, Zulu royal family and then, and, and then, and then either using non-ANC or any other form of people uh, to then not support uh, the, 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 the current appointed or uh, anoint uh, the, the Zulu king, it's not true. However, engagements that are taking place are open, transparent, with everybody to find and help in finding a solution. And 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 then, but we are also sensitive that some of the issues, because they are in court, is not easy for us to then enter that particular space because government cannot really take sides when matters are still before court. And we then have to also respect the processes where some members have decided to take this matter to court. We will await for the court processes to really sit and come out, but help where we can with whatever ideas and advices as and when we get approached by all sides and without this meeting becoming secret. Therefore, this other uh, information that Honorable Mkhalipi has 
we are not aware of it, but definitely everything is above the board and not in secret. And we don't talk to everybody and all sides. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Minister. The next follow-up question is to be asked by the Honorable Khadebe. Thank you, um, Honorable Chair. Still on disputes, uh, Deputy Minister, the male-dominated culture and systems of traditional leadership at times constitute gender oppression. Therefore, the inclusion of women in traditional leadership structures should not only be seen in the context of transforming the institution of traditional leadership, but the development of customary law in line with the constitution. Honorable Deputy Minister, I would like to know, with the promulgation of the Traditional and Khoisan Leadership Act, what definitive role will be played by women in development of customary law to ensure equality? I thank you. The Honorable Deputy Minister. Thank you very much, House uh, Chairperson, and thanks to the Honourable Member for the question. Uh, indeed, we, we live in a society that is tran in transformation, and, uh, and that also has pushed forward the, the agenda on gender parity, and then all facets of society, where be religious or traditional or any, they are now beginning to look at their own uh, systems, their own constitutions, their own uh, existing documents that uh, continues to discriminate on, on women. That includes the traditional leadership who are also engaging on the search, uh, even though it's not in a documented format, it's more a patriarchy issue that we ought to engage and deal with as a society in South Africa. And indeed, the laws that we have also uh, passed through parliament are giving a lot of space for, for women participation in the traditional leadership institutions, including the, the national house, the provincial houses, and the local houses, and also at the level uh, where the Ubukosi is being practiced, that women also must be uh, in the leadership position, in the positions of responsibilities. However, there, are, there has been an, uh, an identification by the sector itself, an acknowledgement by them that uh, the, 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 the culture practice sometimes still has those elements and they've identified uh, certain cultural practices that unfortunately are still being practiced that are looking down at women and not giving any women. And then we have identified as but one of the seven subject matters that the traditional leadership will be engaging on to ensure that women rise without any fear or favor, but women are able to, to be promoted and also women can rise on their own and, and, and be in the leadership of the institution. Thank you very much. Thank you. The next supplementary question will be asked by the Honorable Spies. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Um, Deputy Minister, your department has allocated substantial resources towards the support of the House of Traditional Leaders. Their department further appointed highly paid officials to deal with all matters concerning traditional leaders. Yet, Deputy Minister, we have disputes and, and court cases. Deputy Minister, in the light of this, does your department have the actual 
expertise to deal with and develop proper dispute resolution processes and frameworks for the different cultural groups. Because, Deputy Minister, in my experience on oversight in the Northwest Province and in committee meetings, it is indicated otherwise. Deputy Minister, I would really love to hear your response on this. Thank you very much. The Honourable Deputy Minister. Thank you, Mr. Chairperson, and thanks to the Honourable Member for the question. Indeed, uh, uh, some of these disputes, as you said, uh, I, at the provincial level, but certain provinces do not have that necessary, necessary capacity. And we're engaging with the MECs of cocktails in those provinces that uh, need to be that capacity developed to really manage and handle whatever nature of disputes. I'm not referring to those that are in court because most of the time the family members decide or royal family members will then go to court and I think if you know in the Northwest, uh, they're almost having close to 10 cases that are in court itself. And forever, there are some of the cases have been in court. Yes, we do have officials with uh, requisite knowledge, uh, well-paid uh, uh, officials, but when a dispute is at the family level, it's not an easy thing because now it's family versus family uh, in that particular aspect. And when a dispute is in court, is not also easy because the subjudicate laws will also apply and we ought to move sensitively to that, save to guide and then see if they cannot get out of court and find a settlement. And 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 then but uh, the department is not well resourced, I must say. I heard you saying that it is a well resourced department. It's not as well resourced, and I think that is an issue that the minister uh, met with the National House uh, last week. And we will be looking at how further to resource and then engaging the Minister of Finance really to help in the resource capacity of the department and also the house, the local houses, and also the provincial houses. We also met with the MECs. They were also raising the similar issue that the, 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 the resources that are coming, the, the direction of the traditional leadership sector, they are very limited and then yet is a sector that has a lot of challenges and we will then be engaging on that uh, particular issue. Thank you very much. Sir. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Minister. The last supplementary question will be asked by the Honorable Ms. S. A. Butelezi. Uh, thank you, House Chair. Deputy Minister, most of the disputes on traditional leadership that are, that are currently before the courts and some that have been recently decided could lead to drastic changes in customary law and its principles of succession. This could lead to tensions that could destabilize traditional communities. What measures, if any, is the department taking to mitigate such risks of destabilization of traditional communities? Thank you, House Chair. Thank you, Honorable Member. The Honorable Deputy Minister. Thank you, House Chairperson, and thank you, Honorable Member. I think we'll, we'll then have to engage as a department to a formula that used to exist. Uh, we discontinued uh, almost three years ago because these cases are not coming to an end, it's true. And then and the more there are disputes and then we leave the courts to determine is not the way to go because some of the disputes are customary. And then the courts as uh, they use the Roman law uh, uh, as a way to resolve some of the 
disputes might not be enough competent really to to deal with this. So we do, we, we used to have what we call the disputes uh, resolution uh, uh, establishment committees where we'll then appoint individual men and women. Whenever these disputes arises, we'll then refer this matter uh, matters to, to them to then go deeper into the customary aspects of it, the successions, the genealogies, and then bring in the historical evidence and material, and, and then begin to also look at the customary, uh, or the customs of that particular national group, and then, and then begin to remind them uh, in terms of their own customs also. Uh, but since we discontinued, we can see that there's an increase of cases uh, going to the cause, but obviously, uh, if you are to resuscitate, it will need additional resources. And uh, it's a matter that I think the department must then begin to go back, look at it, and then see if we cannot bring back that particular system. It used to work. We're able to resolve quite a number of disputes uh, using this model without them ending up in courts. And that is why you only saw a few of them go into courts. But I think, honorable member, we shouldn't really kill the customary way of resolutions which is an African value system that we really ought to pride ourselves and continue, but adaptive to the new conditions of constitutionalism, democracy, and the republic system. Thank you very much. Thank you, Deputy Minister. We now move to question 364, asked by Honorable Kasa to the Minister of Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs. Honorable Deputy Minister, it's your turn again. This time is not me, uh, Deputy Speaker. It will be Deputy Minister Ngadi Meng, who is in the house. Thank you. Okay, they didn't change the name here. They wanted to span you for the whole day. Uh, Deputy Minister, new from the box, uh, Ngadi Meng. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chair. The Minister of Local Government is responsible amongst other things for 1672 and 75. Specifically to this question, I'll stick to, to section 72, which makes regulations and guidelines in terms of the human resource matters with regard to the staffing and capacitation at local government. As of September 2021, you all may know, we have promulgated the municipal staff regulations for staff members below the management echelon. Why below the management echelon is because section 56 and 57 were long promulgated to deal with executive directors and directors. So these regulations are aimed at professionalizing the local government sector, even up at the middle uh, uh, strata of, of management, but across all the occupational levels as well. And they're also aimed generally at professionalizing the sector by ensuring that there are proper staff establishments, recruitment selections, appointments, performance management at a lower level, and other career development areas. So as part of this implementation, Honorable Chair, a comprehensive sector-wide skills audit will be conducted, identify the competency gap and the root causes and capacitation as we have already started in the new term with the induction of councillors from the Monday of last week to ensure that the skills development and its intervention is properly done. Thank you very much, Chair. 
Thank you very much, Deputy Minister. Uh, Honorable Kasa, it's your turn. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Deputy Speaker, uh, Deputy Minister, the Minister of Public Service and Administration has published on the Gazette the professionalization of the public service framework. This made the point that public service at all spheres of government must be insulated from politics or political parties. This is critical to ensure that the political administrative interface is free of corruption, malfeasance, and the abuse of power. Would it not be more prudent to rather focus on the implementation of the professionalization of the public service framework at local government instead of issuing new regulations which will require the development of new monitoring and evaluation tools? Thank you very much. Deputy Speaker. Mm -hmm. Honorable Deputy Minister. Thank you very much, uh, Chen. Deputy Speaker. Oh, Deputy. Thank you very much, Deputy Speaker, and thank you very much, Honorable Member, for the question. The regulations are important. They are enshrined according to Section 154 of the Constitution of South Africa to support, from a developmental point of view, municipalities in how they manage and deal with their functions. There will be no repetition and no a process which needs to be reset again in terms of monitoring and evaluation. They actually are focused with nine key areas which deals with the interpretation and application of the law, the stop staff establishment and job descriptions, performance management, skills audit, dispute and disciplinary code, to ensure the issues and the effects of consequence management and the procedures. Of course, coupled with that will be the issues of remuneration, which deals with how staff needs to be remunerated and dealt with with regard to the public service regulation. So this will ensure that these regulations will ensure besides professionalization that there is requisite skills that we all complain about and expertise that will be brought at the local government sphere. And it will also ensure consistency of development and measurement of people's skills by ensuring that there is competence that is saved to the public. Thank you very much. Thank you. Honorable Brink. Uh, thank you, Deputy Speaker. Deputy Minister, a big reason why the local government sector can't attract skilled and talented people and why we have a skills crisis is because of cadre deployment. The formal policy of the African National Congress adopted in 1997 to deploy agents of your party into positions of the state, including constitutional institutions. Deputy Minister, would it not assist if you can here today reject the unconstitutional practice of cadre deployment? Will that not assist local government, especially those few in rural areas still under ANC control, perform better? Thanks very much. Honorable Deputy Minister. Thank you very much, Deputy Chair. The government of South Africa doesn't have a policy called cadre deployment. As I have indicated, we find our regulations as enshrined in Section 72, Section 154, which I've just quoted, 
previously. Skills audit are being performed. Municipalities that have begun the process of the new term have been encouraged in writing by the minister to, to perform their own skills audit. Possibly with time, Comrade Chair, we will be able to share with what needs to be given and done with regard to skills audit. In fact, skills audit performed at the city of Tuan found one to be a bouncer than where he was employed. Thank you very much. Um, Honorable Grunewald. Uh, uh, Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Honorable Deputy Minister, we can agree that municipalities are deteriorating, but there is no plan that the ANC can put forward that will save the situation if case deployment persists. We must agree that merit is the only measure that must be considered when appointment in municipalities is made because it has a direct effect on service delivery. Deteriorated municipalities are being used as cash cows with corrupt to such an extent that respectable professionals do not want a position at the municipality. Would the Deputy Minister then agree that affirmative action in municipal appointments must be ended to ensure that the best person for the position is appointed to stop the deterioration of municipalities? Thank you, Honourable Deputy uh, Speaker. Uh, Deputy Minister. Deputy Speaker. Employment equity does not violate the rules and regulation of government. Its ethos are found from the Public Service Regulation as enshrined in the Public Service Act of 195. It requires that you deal with the requirements of the person, amongst other things, it will be qualifications, which is an RVQ 13. Secondly, it will be the experience of the job at hand. It deals with the portion of the skills development. It also deals with the portion of skills rehabilitation. So if you talk about empowerment, the imperatives are only two on empowerment, is women, and uh, which represent gender and young people. And they are not used as a form of tokenism. They are qualified with degrees, interviewed, go through a selection process, then appointed. That's what the, 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 the Employment Equity Act of South Africa prescribes. We will deal with the issues of cater deployment, as I have said. And I've also drawn an indication that it is a fallacy and incorrect for anybody to believe that employment equity brings cater deployment. You do skills audit. For example, in the municipality of uh, 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 Zulu, the mayor first time started and said, I'm going to do the audit. We authorized it. They are busy with the audit as we are talking. And they will make sure that wherever they have to capacitate. Yes, I've been a mayor of Polokwane. There was nothing like that either. Thank you. Uh, uh, thank you very much. Honorable Swart. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Thank you, Deputy Minister. Deputy Minister, one of the biggest challenges facing local governments is the escalating debt levels, and that then obviously relates to having the required skills, skilled officials, and internal audit capacities. Now, one of the aspects of that is the debt owed by consumers to the municipalities, but the second 
more concerning is the 46 billion that is owed by the municipalities. Deputy Minister, what is being done to reduce these debt levels and to improve the officials that are having to deal with the issues of debt both owed to municipalities and by municipalities? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Deputy Minister. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Thank you, Honourable Member, for the question. It is a, a, a fact that municipalities with regard to revenue collection and also sustainability financially, it is a challenge. Currently, as you may know, a report which was taken to Cabinet dealt with around 39 municipalities which are in financial distress in South Africa. And amongst other things, the Cabinet formed a committee that is led by the Deputy President to look amongst two debt issues which are a problem in municipalities. One, the debt to water boards, and two, the debts to ESCO. And three, the putting up of smart meters as a way of ensuring a user pay to communities who are unable to do that. A relief to municipalities to ensure that they are able to increase their indigent books or their indigent funds available to them to cushion the effects of COVID, which have been negative on quite a number of people who, as a result of lack of economic activity, have lost their jobs. I do believe, Honorable Speaker, that therefore with such measures, the 46 billion will reduce the levels, but also municipalities are encouraged on a day-to-day -day basis to ensure that they must also put into effect their own credit management policies, which is to switch off electricity and water to consumers who afford to pay but are not able to pay back. So those are the four key measures which have been put in place to ensure that we assist municipalities to deal with the debt. Thank you very much, Honourable Member. Thank you, Deputy Minister. Honourable Members, the next question is 385, asked by Honourable M.D. Lengwa to the Minister in the Presidency for Women, Youth, Persons with Disabilities. Honourable Minister. Deputy Speaker, according to the legislation drafting process, a map, a bill must be submitted to the cabinet in order to request for approval to publish the bill in the government gazette to solicit inputs and comments. The process requires the bill to undergo certain tests before submission to the cabinet. This includes the bill to the submission of the, of the bill to the uh, presidency for socioeconomic impact assessment. Then to the office of the chief state law advisor for quality assurance and pre-certification. Upon receiving the legal opinion from the Office of the Chief State Law Advisor, the bill must be submitted to the Director's General Cluster for deliberation. It is important to note that all the processes mentioned above are administered 
but by the respective organs of state according to their own internal processes and set timeframes determined by the number of submissions they receive from the department. Therefore, the department had to comply with all their requirements before publishing the bill in the government gazette. The department intends to introduce the National Council on Gender-Based Violence and Femicide Bill number 45267-2021 to Parliament in the current financial year. The exact date for the introduction of the bill uh, to Parliament cannot be uh, set here and now until the consultation with Madlak with uh, our health. I thank you, Chief. Uh, thank you, uh, Honorable Slengwa. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Minister, considering the rise in number of the reported cases of gender-based violence since the inception of the lockdown in March 2020, and the statistics revealed recently by the Houghton MEC for Social Development, which shows that South Africa's average for GPV prior to the pandemic was five times higher than the global average statistic, which have worsened since the lockdown. Whether the minister is considering giving more attention to this urgent matter within the 16 days of activism against GPV, what are the relevant details? I thank you, Deputy Speaker. Thank you, Honorable Shengwa. Honorable Minister. Thank you, uh, Honorable Deputy Speaker. We have spent almost two years consulting all relevant stakeholders. We have followed all the processes. All that remains is that we go to the final stages of presenting this bill because we live amongst our people. We feel the pain. We participate in painful funerals, matches, and so on and so on. What is important is we had to follow the procedure painful as it is. Go to funeral, yes. Watch a girl child being cut into pieces by a saw blade, painful. See a 93-year-old woman being raped by a 25-year-old, painful. But we must follow procedure, and we did. Uh, the Department of uh, Justice and Constitutional Development developed the first draft bill and handed it to the department to finalize. The bill 
is going according to plan, as I said earlier on, gone through the Director Generals. The department gazetted the National Council of Gender-Based Violence and Femicide, uh, Bill number 45267 for public comments. Public, public uh, consultations on the bill have been held with all the nine provinces. As I said, we intend to introduce the bill to Parliament in the current financial year. Thank you. Thank you, Minister. Uh, the next supplementary question is asked by Honorable F.A. Masiko. Thank you very much, Deputy Speaker, and thank you to the Minister for the response. Minister, what interventions will the Department put in place, particularly in local government, noting that part of the challenges in the implementation of the NSP relate to incorporating the plan into functions of various departments? Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Thank you, Honorable Minister. Thank you, Honorable uh, Deputy Speaker. We, when I say we, I mean the department and the, all the departments in the IMC and indeed the cabinet have resolved that, as I said earlier on, real people live in provinces and municipalities. So all those, all that I said should be implemented down on the ground. The killing, the maiming, the beating, the abuse, the femicide must stop right there, utilizing the council and all other instruments of government. That's where we would also be seeing, indeed, the district development model. That which we developed nationally is meant for our people. It will have to go to the provinces and the districts and local municipalities. But Oxalai, the honorable member, is that this time around, as we go through the 16 days of activism against uh, uh, abuse, it should be that we all mean that my next door neighbor would not cry and I say, it's not my business. By that I mean the civil society is also on board we have consulted widely. We will continue. 16 days of activism is a, it's an AU, I'm sorry, UN initiative. But with South Africa, we say 365 days. Women should feel safe. Thank you very much, Honorable Minister. Let's go to Honorable Sharif for the next supplementary question. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Minister, Honorable MPT suggested you resign, perhaps retirement 
might be a better option for you. Minister, I understand the need to rush and introduce the National Council on GBVF Bill to Parliament before the end of the financial year. However, rushing public participation limits buy-in and interrogation of the bill. It is of utmost importance to listen to as many stakeholders as possible and not simply those who may only agree with you. Minister, please explain how your department will prioritize more extensive public participation in order to hear a range of voices for buy-in of this bill. The current public participation mechanisms the department has is, is very small and is not uh, wide-ranging. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Honorable Minister. Honorable uh, Deputy Speaker, there is no time to wait. And I will say I saw two years of moving out and consulting with civil society, with unions, with men's groups, with churches, uh, with uh, taxi associations, with ordinary men and women, those who really wanted to come to the party. Consultation will not end with the adoption of the council. The council gives us more leverage to continue educating advocating and making sure that, as I said earlier on, South African women are faced with uh, two pandemics. One, COVID-19, two, gender-based violence and femicide. And the second one is man-made, is us, and we can, working together, do away with it. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Minister. Uh, Honorable Kaula, it's your turn. Okay, Deputy Speaker, let me take it. She's struggling with the network. Okay. Uh, Minister, between the 25th of November and today, countless women have been murdered in this country. The recent statistics by the Minister of Police shows that we are not winning this war of femicide. With this level of crimes against women, new laws will not help the situation until we get the institutions working again. What steps have you taken to ensure that the institution of criminal justice, as well as those meant to support women, are up to task? Thank you very much, Deputy Speaker. Thank you. Honorable Minister. Honorable Deputy Speaker, I maybe should call this by his rightful name. Femicide is men, known men, killing women. It's actually husbands killing wives. It's boyfriends killing girlfriends. It's men in the neighborhood killing a girl in the neighborhood. So, so it is of paramount importance 
that it begins at home. It starts from where it should. We will never have a policeman guarding every bedroom in every locality to do away with gender-based violence. I finished this summer to deal with this matter. Order. Palipe, please, you can't do that. You can't be interrupting the minister while she's answering you. That's out of order completely. Go ahead, minister. We will need all the security cluster uh, and the interministerial committee, but the entire cabinet, both from national to province to all the localities. But it also would begin with the neighborhood, that the social fabric of South Africa, of the South Africa of Nkosisinkelele, the one which we said, we says we are one, that we protect women and girl children. It should start now. And it is possible. It is not just a responsibility of the police. Yes, police. But this is a societal problem. It needs the society to stand up and say, you and I, not in our names. Thank you very much. Uh, honorable members, the next question is 369, asked by Honorable M.T. Kibi to the Minister of Public Service and Administration. I've been informed the Deputy Minister will be answering questions on behalf of the Minister. Go ahead, Deputy Minister. Thank you, uh, Deputy Speaker. Uh, 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 just one second. Nkalaguti, uh, please. Uh, Switch off the volumes and step step Go ahead. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Uh, within the Fusion Center created under the Anti-Corruption Task Team to prioritize investigations regarding COVID-related corruption, the Department of Public Service and Administration has a responsibility to one ensure that public service employees are identified from the list of suspects, verifying information against personal system, and two, to coordinate and monitor that disciplinary steps are taken against identified employees. The Department of Public Service and Administration has no mandate to perform investigations. Once officials are are detected on the list of suspects, the department where the individual official is employed are notified. Law enforcement agencies assist these departments to open criminal cases and to investigate cases. To ensure disciplinary action is taken when criminal cases are opened. The Department of Public Service and Administration provides that the uh, the departments with guidance and formu uh, formulate standards discipli disciplinary charges uh, to be instituted by the departments. The DPSA coordinates the implementation of disciplinary action to ensure adherence to the time frames for finalizing 
cases and supports departments with sourcing of initiators or chairpersons where such is required or are required. Thereafter, the DPSA monitors if departments institute disciplinary action and if not, to provide reasons. Once found guilty, public servants will not find their way back into any public office. As the DPSA amended the application for employment form Z83 to make it compulsory for prospective employees to disclose all pending disciplinary cases and criminal convictions. The use of the amended Z83 form was made compulsory with effect from January 2020 and misrepresentation is considered a misconduct which may result in termination of an employee's service. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Uh, thank you very much, Deputy Minister. Let's give to Honorable Kibi to ask the first supplementary question. Thank you, thank you, Deputy uh, Speaker. Thank you, Deputy Minister, for your response. Uh, Deputy Minister, a reference to public servants having benefited unlawfully in the COVID-19 grants, whereby even convicted inmates were found to have benefited from the grants. Has there been an improvement in ICT inventions to detect such unlawful conduct? I thank you, uh, Deputy Speaker. Uh, uh, Deputy Minister. Uh, thank you, Deputy Speaker. Uh, the Department of Public Service and Administration does not manage ITC interventions. So this is outside our mandate. I thank you, Deputy Speaker. Uh, Honorable Schreiber, you're the next one. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Deputy Speaker, this administration has indeed made a lot of noise about building an ethical state. However, a reply to a recent question posed by the Honorable Gondwe to the Minister of Social Development revealed that a staggering 170,000 public servants Ill illegally receive other social grants, like child support grants, foster care grants, and old age pensions every month. This means that 15, nearly 15% of all public servants are actively involved in stealing grants, costing 200 million rand every month from the poorest of the poor. Would the Deputy Minister agree that this endemic theft by public servants proves that her department has completely failed to build the ethical state it promised us? Thank you. Deputy Minister. Uh, thank you, Deputy Speaker. I would disagree with the assertion by the member to say that the department is actually failing in its mandate to create an ethical state. And in terms of Section 3 of the Public Service Act, we have created norms and standards uh, that actually articulates clearly the ethical standards that are supposed to be across government. And we are of the opinion that also with the establishment of the what we call Public Administration Ethics, Integrity and Disciplinary Technical Assistance Unit that we just launched late, lately, that we are really on the right track as a Department of Public Service and Administration to really decisively deal with what is referred to as corruption. You might actually think, uh, honorable member, that there's too much corruption because of the fact that on a day-to-day -day basis, you share of information as to how the Department of Public Service 
uh, and administration and government of South Africa is actually dealing with corruption, something that is new in this country, and we are actually on the right path. We are, hope, we, we are uh, confident that we will, at some point, finally and decisively deal with the corruption in government, which uh, the present government does not actually condone. I thank you, Deputy Speaker. Thank you. Honorable Komani. Yes. Honorable Mozepe. Deputy Speaker. Oh, okay. Uh, we must okay. be informed about these changes. They help to know in advance. Go ahead, Honorable Member. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Deputy Minister, your public servants are benefiting from COVID-19 grants and many are doing business with the very state they are working for. What are the loopholes in the public service that allow this kind of corruption to flourish? And what are you doing to close those loopholes? Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Deputy Minister. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Honorable Member, I've actually indicated about the units that we have actually set up. I've indicated about the sections within the Public Service and Administration Act that actually helps you deal with corruption. And when it comes to public service that are, uh, public servants that are actually doing business with government, we have been in the position using PESEL system to manage to identify public servants that are actually doing business with government. And what we are actually busy doing is consequence management to see to it that every public servant that is actually doing business with government goes through a disciplinary process so that once and for all, we can actually be in the position to manage to deal with this. That is what is one of the biggest reasons why we have wastage in government when the public servants are doing business with government. We are on track with it, we are dealing with it, and uh, we have measures in place that manages to help us to manage to decisively deal with it. I thank you, Deputy Speaker. Thank you. Honorable Dana. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Deputy Minister, with regards to illegally gotten gains by some public servants, and specifically the planned lifestyle audits that will be conducted on state employees starting from February next year, according to the DPSA's quarterly bulletin, 42 ethics officers have been trained to carry out these lifestyle audits for more than 1.3 million state employees. That's about 31,000 lifestyle audits per ethics officer, which, mean, which seems to be an impossible task and creates the impression that the DPSA is not truly serious about these audits and their outcomes. Is the department planning on appointing more ethics officers? And if so, how many and by when? And what is the timeline to finalize these lifestyle audits? Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Uh, thank you, Deputy Minister. Thank you, um, uh, Deputy Speaker. Uh, the Department of Public Service and Administration is really serious about um, conducting lifestyle audits. A process has been set up, and what Honorable Member is actually worried about is that there isn't enough capacity, which we are actually aware of, and which means that because this is a process that is beginning, it doesn't necessarily mean that measures that have been put in place are actually final, it means we will keep on evaluating what we've actually put in place to be sure that we will be in the position to come up with a system that manages to, uh, in a way that is uh, going to actually manage, uh, deal with this situation decisively 
uh, uh, correct and correct the situation. So basically what it means is that we will continue to evaluate whatever system that has been put in place now and therefore uh, if the system uh, that is, has been created now is not something that is fully capacitated, capacity will be created to ensure that we have a good system that will deal with the lifestyle audits. I thank you, Deputy Speaker. Thank you. The next question is 392, asked by Honorable M.S. Malatsi to the Minister in the Presidency. Uh, 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 Honorable Minister. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Speaker. Honorable uh, Thank you, Honorable Deputy Speaker. <laughs> Good afternoon. Good uh, afternoon. Thank you very much. Uh, let me appreciate uh, the question from Honorable Malati. In short, what I wanted to say, Honorable Deputy Speaker, is that the Department of Planning and Monitoring and Evaluation would have completed the preliminary, the preliminary assessment of ministers. The performance scorecards were shared with the ministers for their comments before they are submitted to the president. The DPME will submit the consolidated performance to President Stephen Hoposa by the end of 2021. And in this regard, the president will engage with the affected ministers and decide on the course of action for poor performance. And whatever that course would be, that is in the wisdom of the president. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Thank you, Honorable Minister. Honorable Malati. Uh, thanks, House Chairperson. Um, this is indeed a clever copped out by the uh, minister from what the actual question is. The reality of the matter is that the introduction of performance agreements was introduced as early as two years ago. So what we want to know is based on the performance scorecards and previous assessments, has what can he provide at least one minister who he knows that action has been taken or they've been reprimanded for missing their performance targets? because we are already halfway into the MSTF period for this administration. Thanks, Deputy Speaker. Thank you, Honorable Minister. Uh, thank you, Honorable Deputy Speaker. The, the President signed performance contracts in 2021 uh, uh, financial year. We're saying what we have processed and what we're we have submitted to, we are going to submit after that. We will therefore expect the president's response to that regard. I prefer not to respond to creativity of language by Honorable Malads. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Thank you. Uh, Honorable uh, Ntuli, is your chance to ask a second supplementary question. Um, Thank you, Deputy Speaker, and thank you to the minister. The minister elaborated and outlined. And now I don't see myself asking any further questions. Thank you, Minister. Wedges. Deputy Speaker. <laughs> 
Is that no, on a to... point of order, Deputy Speaker? Now, Deputy Speaker, the, the, the minister already responded. Why are you giving a second Honourable option unless you are asking him to respond to my point of order? It's wrong what you are doing. You're creating a wrong precedence, sir. Honorable Tangwini, and you keep quiet. It's the authority of the chair to decide who is speaker. Don't debate and throw words into my mouth. I'm speaking right now. Why do you assume that you have authority to do what you are doing? You're out of order. Uh, Honorable Minister, please uh, uh, finish the point you are making. No, all, all I'm saying, uh, Honorable Deputy There's no Speaker, point. Is that. Uh, we will always take note of the concerns expressed regarding how we respond to questions, but in doing so, we will not at all costs try to be creative and state things that don't exist so that we can make members happy. So the point I'm making is that I am candid in my response based on the facts of the work that we're doing. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, Honorable... Uh, What's the uh, point? Deputy Speaker. Honorable members, yes. Honorable Mkalipe, what are you raising on? Yeah, but Deputy Speaker, we can't be saying to a member we are Delela, that is unparliamentary, we must withdraw it, Deputy Speaker. There's nothing unparliamentary about that. You are getting into that space too, please. Oh, Just okay, so we are Delela now, Emanji. Honorable member, honorable member, can you please, uh, you are a deputy chief whip in the first place. You can't no. yourself be... But you can't just speak as you like to the members of Parliament, Deputy Speaker. If you want us to respect you, please respect us back, Deputy Speaker. Lead my example. According to the list that was submitted, because you're not helping us out to speak. Honorable members, can you stop this? Can you stop this? Honorable, honorable members, please, you are you are going to be thrown out. There's no question about it. There is no question about it. Can you switch off that member? Yes, please. Switch off Ntombuvuyo. Yes. Switch her off, please. She must go. Yes, uh, With the greatest of respect, uh, you are really behaving as if you need to go home and have a good bath. You need to relax. <laughs> On a point of order, Deputy Speaker. Aye, aye, aye. On a point of order, Deputy Speaker. No, I won't take that. Order. I won't take that point of order from you because you are continuing in the same manner no, that no, I said we shouldn't. It's a different point of order, but, sir. No, the answer is no. The answer but is it's no. Wrong. What you are saying, a member must go and take a bath. It's aye. wrong. How dare Honourable you go and address on a person's ID? How dare you? Officer it's has wrong, wrong, Deputy Speaker. It's wrong. It's Honourable wrong. Can you switch off uh, her, her mic? Then, switch her off and get rid of no, her. No, you are wrong. You yes, are wrong. Yes. Why not go and take a bath? Go and take a bath. Please take her off. Please. Take her off. 
I'm, I'm done with it. Let's proceed. I will not take any other uh, story on this matter. Please. Honorable members, uh, the next question is 374. No, Honorable Chair, Honorable Speaker. Uh, Honourable, as the last supplementary question, the minister must respond. Thank you, Honourable Deputy Sorry? Speaker. I yes, thought you had forgotten me. Go ahead, go ahead. Thank go you ahead. very much. Uh, yeah. Honourable Deputy Speaker, it seems that today, uh, from the responses of most of the ministers, they are kicking for touch. Uh, but having said that, uh, Honourable Minister, corruption seemingly goes on unabated in many government departments and state-owned enterprises. Now, across all the performance agreements signed with members of Cabinet, reference is made to the requirement of establishing ethics committees to fight and prevent corruption. Are you aware of the existence of such ethics committees? And do you have in your own department such an ethics committee to fight uh, and prevent corruption? And, and, and part B is the ability to answer questions effectively is that one of the criteria even for ministers in the presidency? Because today we didn't see some good examples of that. Thank you. Honorable uh, uh, Minister. Thank you, Mr. Uh, Speaker. Uh, the issue of ethic committees to Honorable Singh it's a good practice, but which department has and which department have, I do not have those details as I'm speaking to you now. And uh, being in this department where I am in the presidency, it's not a matter that I've interfaced with, but I would be happy if such a committee exists. But in other departments, I've seen it. It's a good practice. But having said all that, I want to state it very categorically. There's a lot of intervention this government is doing on issues of corruption. SIU work that is going on, expecting final reports in a number of areas regarding PPEs around December. The president continues to issue proclamations at all material times when information of corruption is put before him. Some people are before court. There have been liquidation or freezing of accounts in a number of areas. There's a number of, there's quite a number, an amount of work that has been done in this area, Honorable Singh. If we are called upon some time to give a full report about it, I think we're capable of doing that to demonstrate that this government, when it comes to corruption, there's a lot that, that is being done. Are we perfect? I wouldn't say that. There's always going to be a room for improvement. Thank you, Honorable Singh. Uh Honourable uh, the next Speaker, on a point of order. Yes. Um, sir, I, I did not want to get involved in that fracas that you were trying to sort out earlier, but I think there's something that I would like you to consider in so far as setting precedence is concerned in terms of the rulings. Um, Honourable Ntlangwini raised a point of order and you made a ruling on it. But what became a complication is when you gave the, de the minister, rather, an opportunity to respond to that point of order. If you could please go back and study that so that you can give a considered ruling to avoid a precedence moving forward about a decision by the chair having been taken that Honorable Ntlangwini must bring her matter in writing and then asking the minister to actually respond to the issue that she had raised. It's a matter that I'm just putting to you and asking you to look at. I'll do that. You. I'll do that.
Honorable uh, members, Honorable Mishwe uh, is asking question 374 uh, from the Minister and the Presidency. Thank you, uh, Honorable uh, Deputy Speaker. The Department of, we of Women, Youth uh, and Persons with Disabilities has developed monitoring and evaluation framework and plan that identifies clear outcomes, indicators, and time-bound interventions that have to be implemented by various government departments and other stakeholders in order to ensure the achievement of the National Strategic Plan on Gender-Based Violence and Femicide Targets. The department uses monitoring and evaluation plan to monitor progress made by various departments to implement the National Strategic Plan and compiles monthly progress reports for submission to the presidency. The department currently does not have its own system in place to detect information with regards to persons convicted of rape, but relies solely on the information obtained by the state security agencies through the vetting processes that all senior civil servants are subjected to prior appointment in the public service. And reference can also be made to the National Register on Sexual Offenses. I thank you, Chair. Honourable uh, Mishra. Deputy Speaker, may I, with your permission, take the follow-up due to connection problems? Uh, go ahead, Honourable Member. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Thank you, Honourable Minister, for your response. Honourable Minister, we appreciate there are two aspects to this question, the one relating to public servants and the other relating to members who are public office bearers. And we appreciate the response that you've given for the screening concerning public officials. When it comes to persons who have been found guilty of rape who stand for public office or to be elected, we know that that's governed by the Constitution and legislation, which indicates a 12-month sentence. Clearly, however, this provision is subject to a five-year period. So in other words, if you were convicted of rape five years prior to that, you can stand. Would the Honourable Minister agree that where we see a mayor who has been convicted of child rapist, that this does not send a good message to society and that that five-year period should be re-looked at given the high levels of gender-based violence that we see in society and given the monitoring mechanisms that the minister makes use of. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Thank you. Um, Honourable Minister. I really cannot agree more because the pain of the survivor lasts a lifetime, not five years. As long as she lives, she will remember that horrible, horrible day. So we will definitely reconsider this because that's what survivors tell us that it's a lifetime wound. So we cannot have one 
having five years and the other one living with the pain for a, for the, for a, for a lifetime and, and it's okay in a democratic South Africa. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Thank you. The second one is asked by Honorable Piri. Kamchavisekimanana <laughs> gender-based violence and femicide and toxic um, masculinity amongst children. sexual violence so an lavaku mitsalu mitsamsela ndule kuriti program tangwina titsamenjani leswi mingati switira na vale vanzaulo ya to ya wifedile mme eh minister eh inkomwe mchabiseki eh vikila rakuhunza arnane ntlangano Na Minister wa Basic Education Nutrisane eh, O Deputy Ibula Bula Makale Ya Bana Ba 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 Violent Askolen Makurva Iteka Queen I think we also need to go into uh, getting the support of psychologists. But as far as working together is concerned, we had had two days full with Minister of Basic Education and his deputy, and we are finalizing the plans of having a session with the Minister of Higher Education to the aim and uh, the main aim and objective in both is really to work with all sides and corners to bury gender-based violence and femicide. That's why we're saying if government organizations Thank you. Uh, the third supplementary is asked by Honorable Chirwa. Thank you, uh, Deputy Speaker. 
Um, Minister, the recently elected mayor of Kanaland Municipality, Jeffrey Johnson, is a convicted child rapist and his deputy is a convicted fraudster. What message does it send to the public that in 2021, convicted child rapists can be elected to positions of responsibility? Have you, as the Minister and the Presidency for Women, Youth and Persons with Disabilities, engaged with the parties involved in Kanaland to raise your views about the election of a child rapist as a mayor. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. You, Honorable Minister. Um, but I think it's only fair that we get the facts and make sure that we do not reward wrongdoing. As I said earlier on, those who have survived this, they say it lasts for life. So I think we will be consulting with all those responsible and involved to make sure that that matter gets attention. Thank you, Deputy uh, Speaker. Thank you, Honorable Ngobo. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Minister, in the recent local government elections, we have seen the re-election of Mr. Jeffrey Donson as the mayor of Kanel and the municipality. This came after the NC had entered into a coalition agreement with his party, ICOSA. Mr. Donson was convicted for the rape of a 15-year-old child during his tenure as a mayor in 2008. His re-election is no doubt a slap in the face of the fight against gender-based violence in South Africa. Minister, will you agree that the NC was wrong and that it should not have assisted in re-electing Mr. Donson as a mayor given his past? Thank you. Um, Deputy Speaker, as I said earlier on, we, as a department, as a woman, but now that I'm sitting on this chair, as a department, I think we should get all the facts so that we are not seen to be rewarding perpetrators. Like I said, those who are survivors say it's so painful, it lasts a lifetime. So we are using this opportunity to call upon the entire South African society that we need to hold hands and that's the only way we can bury this pandemic called gender-based violence and femicide. I thank you. Honorable members, uh, question 372 is asked by Honorable Team Gweba to the, to the Minister and the Presidency. Honorable Minister. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Speaker. Indeed, uh, in the presidency, 
Two, multiple tools have been deployed to assist with the monitoring and evaluation of various programs across the different spheres of government. Examples of those tools, amongst others, is what we call integrated monitoring tools. For instance, biannual monitoring tool and local government management and improvement model to monitor progress towards achieving seven priorities as stated in 2019. Amongst other tools is the presidential hotline, frontline service delivery model, which is commonly referred to as FSDM, capability improvement framework, commonly referred to as CIF, and state-owned entities. National evaluation policy framework, which covers assessment of impact of government programs, efficiencies, and their effectiveness towards achievement of government intended outcomes and impact. The main contribution made by these monitoring tools is the generation of evidence which influences policy development and implementation, as well as informing action for improved service delivery. The data collected using the monitoring tools provide decision makers with evidence for cost correction on emerging service delivery issues. For example, the monitoring of COVID vaccination hesitance. Another example is the presidential hotline. The DPME has been able, for instance, to address individual cases logged, which had a significant impact on the individual in some cases. The, example, the examples detailed above, detailed above are an illustration of the benefits of applying monitoring tools and thereby enabling the availability of real-time evidence to positively influence service delivery and achievements of policy outcomes and impacts. Going forward, Honorable Deputy Speaker, the following will be done to strengthen the monitoring and reporting, modernization of the state to support innovation and productivity, including the national e-government strategy to be implemented, full implementation of all government priorities across all sectors through the district development model in support of joined up government and local delivery, repurposing of the presidential hotline and the resolution system in order to have greater management involvement to ensure improvement in the resolution rate of the presidential hotline, expanding the use of technology and other monitoring capacity within the public service and citizens to enhance our footprint, implementation of the SOE monitoring framework, and implementation of measures by my office to improve responsiveness to our monitoring and, fi and findings. One of the key things, Honorable Deputy Speaker, we are trying to reorganize, for instance, how we report to Parliament, how we report to Cabinet, to try to translate the technical language that is made commonly used by officials to speak to the issues that society are at the lips, at their lips. For instance, how does that technological report find expression on how where employment is, where poverty is, where inequalities? Report in the language that is commonly understood and that is usually articulated by President during the summer. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Speaker. Thank you. Honorable Mgweba, it's your turn. Deputy Speaker, Honorable Kape, I will take the follow-up question. Thanks, uh, Minister, for alluding to the tools that you use for data collection and information gathering. Now, 
Provided that most of the monitoring and evaluation conducted by the department tends to adopt a quantity rather than quality reporting approach, will the department improve the manner in which it conducts monitoring and evaluation to ensure proper implementation and performance? Thanks, Deputy Speaker. Uh, Honorable Trumpy, you may have been aware that uh, Honorable Mgweba is not available. Nothing is harmful to send us a note to the table so that they pass it on to us. Yeah. And uh, if they don't, then that's a problem if you've done so. Yeah. Deputy Speaker, I did it as and when I get into the chamber very early. Thanks. Oh, it's the table that is not communicating. <laughs> uh, you guys are in trouble. Okay. Yeah, okay. All right. Thank you very much. Um, uh, thank you very much. Honorable Minister. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Deputy Speaker. I think Honorable Shabir has raised a very, very fundamental question. We are working hard since one got to this job to actually respond to what he has she has actually said. That uh, we go beyond what we always report during quarter report targets, how many scores, 20 over seven or five over 10. Those issues to parliamentarians, to our people, do not say anything. But if we translate them to explain, if, for instance, we're dealing with the issue of lack of water in the van, those scores and targets, what do they say about the water in the van? If we're building a bridge, for instance, how far is the bridge? Is it halfway? Is it a quarter? That's the language that is understood. If we talk about employment, if the baseline was unemployment of about 34%, where is that employment now? Those are quality issues that Honorable Chape is speaking about. That is the issue, ma'am, we're working on now. We hope in 2022-23, we'll actually make sure that over and above those figures of seven over 10 and so on, we go beyond and say, in practical terms, how is this language explained with regard to on the state of the people? the poor and so on, so that because politicians, when we go to report, we don't discuss the targets and so on. People want to know what are we doing about their grant, when are we going to put water and lines in their area, when are we going to close the potholes. They do not talk this language that is technically is exchanged amongst us. So that is the question as I'm talking to you. Our teams are at work, sweating day and night. We want to find a way to talk that quality. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Speaker. Uh, thank you. Uh, the next question is asked by Honorable uh, Malati. Um, thank you very much, Deputy Speaker. Minister, one of the key measurable outputs monitoring the performance of ministers and departments is the finalization of performance agreements for director generals. Our committee learned last week that there were three director generals who hadn't had their performance agreements um, finalized with their ministers and were promised that the information would be provided to us. Can you use this opportunity to provide us with the details of those three director generals and their respective departments who have not finalized those performance agreements? Thanks, Honorable Minister. Thank you, Honorable Matlazi. Let me, let me, oh, Honorable Deputy Speaker. 
Thank you, Honorable in appreciating Honorable Matata's actually his comments. Oh no. Honorable Minister Kimalati. Malati. Oh. Hey, Sony. All right. Okay. Okay, Honorable Deputy Speaker. Well, what I want to say, I just want to say up front, that is one area, Honorable Malati, we are confronted with. And uh, it's, it's, it's not only that, it's a number of those issues that we're dealing with in as far as such similar issues are concerned. And I am still awaiting a report because we had asked the team to deal with those issues. How many, whether they are three or not, but the, that problem does exist. And uh, we hope to come and report to you, but I don't have the details at the moment. But that's an existing problem. Uh, thank you. Honorable Kumani. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. It's Mozepa again, Deputy Speaker. Thank you. Okay, go ahead. Minister, there is a generalized destruction of the public service throughout corruption and incompetence. Departments and uh, departments are unable to develop attainable strategic plans, and those that do are, are unable to implement them. You are responsible for performance monitoring. What have you found to be most important stumbling block to performance management in the public service? Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Thank you, Honorable Mutsipe. Uh, Honorable Minister. Thank you very much, Honorable Is it Honorable Mutsipe? Mutsipe, yes. yes. Thank you very much. There, there's, a, there's a number of areas, Honorable Member, we've come across. One of them is what Honorable Chabu has already spoken about, numbers versus quality. The other issue is the issue of language. It's a very, very critical thing. The language needs to, to coincide. The other issue is a common application of what we call the science of causality. That is, how do we apply what we call the theory of change? That, if I can give an example. If, for instance, people say they are going to build a car, when do we say a plan is in place to do so? There are key elements that you must be able to analyze and say, if you are organizing this man, when you kick these activities into motion, they are able to create a wave, a predetermined one, from this one to that one, to that intended output or outcome or impact. That language is the language we're working hard on to actually sort out. As I'm talking to you now, our teams, for instance, we are planning for what we call NASP, the National Annual Strategic Plan, where the cabinet Lichutla has ensured that there is a focus planning so that when the Minister of Finance start allocating resources, those resources are informed by the core, by the core plan that is composite, that is inclusive, that seeks to deal with the catalytic issues. For that to happen, departments are supposed to produce what we call APPs, we are analyzing APPs to look at the state of readiness, whether indeed the manner in which they are organized to do what they claim they are going to do is of such a nature that the theory of change is taken care of, that when they kickstart, 
one thing will move to the other. If some of the things we discover that we have not been checking. Those are some of the issues. It's language, simplicity, and ensuring that we do evaluation as we do monitoring. In some other departments, you would Thank find you. that... Thank you very much, sir. Oh, I'm afraid. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Speaker. Yep. Honorable Singh. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Speaker. The theory of change is something that we might need to apply in this House and in government. But having said that, Honorable Minister, you know, I, I was a very proud member of this committee, uh, DPME uh, committee, in 2010 when it was founded, when we were looking at what its role and responsibility should be. And I was very proud that, you know, it was going to monitor and give us assessments of what government departments, etc., are doing. But one of the challenges that was expressed then was the issue of turf protection, where government departments were not willing to answer to a super-arching department in the presidency about their performance monitoring. I want to know if this challenge still exists. Are government departments cooperating with the Department of Performance Monitoring and Evaluation in giving them proper statistics for us to be able to get the kind of report that you are talking about, Honorable Minister. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Honorable Singh. Uh, theory of change and application in Parliament. That would be an interesting exercise. Are members applying the rules? If not, why not? Uh, Honorable Minister. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Speaker. I think indeed what Honorable Singh is raising is not just a national government issue. It cuts across even when I was a mayor, when I was an MEC, the weakness that undermines government at all material times to make the needle move is an attempt to work in your own silo space and not understanding that collectively with another, with another institution, you, you actually are coherent, you are able to gather energy that makes better difference than you do alone. That problem, Honorable Singh, does exist, but on the current post where I am now and the current colleagues that I'm working with, I'll be very careful to make that evaluation because I'm still awaiting their responses with regard to the critiques and the reviews we're making about their annual performance plans for next year. Thank you, Honorable Speaker. Uh, Deputy, thank you very much. Uh, oh, the next. Uh, yes. Uh, 363 is asked by Honorable Mpumza of the Minister of COCTA, Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs. Uh, Deputy Minister Ngadimeng, apparently you are the one responding to this. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Speaker. <laughs> Deputy Speaker, yes, I am the one responding to it. <laughs> what have I done now? <clears throat> thank you very much, Honorable Speaker, and thank you very much for the question. The Municipal Finance Management Act and is, uh, requires that all municipalities table their draft budgets, their adopted budgets, quarter reports, annual reports, amongst other things, to ensure one, transparency, accountability, but also to be able to account to the Auditor General and other bodies like the National Treasurer on how the funds of the municipalities have been utilized. But that process prior to the adoption of the budget, remember, by law, we are compelled as the only sphere to talk about our budget requirements and needs to the public. 
So the IDP, which is the Integrated Development Plan, forces municipalities to go to the public for community participation, involving communities and seeking buy-in in municipal programs that will come. And that, in turn, gives and informs the municipal plan for the year to be undertaken and also to make sure that the IDP take cognizance of the developmental strategies which have been formed by community development areas and strategies and other organs of the state who participate within the municipal process to ensure that the framework of what will be adopted as a budget ultimately is all inclusive. And all this is enshrined in Act 2000 of the Local Government Municipal Systems Act. So other processes beyond the adoption of the ITP to ensure this transparency therefore says the municipal manager, 10 days after the end of each order, he or she must tabulate that report to cancel and account on how he or she has applied transparency prescripts of the law by ensuring that the communities are informed. Subsequent to taking that to council, the municipalities must therefore put it amongst other into their notice boards, onto their websites, and also tabulate them fully into council. So the department has partnered in line with many law enforcement agencies to ensure the smooth coordination of any of the wrongful doings, which are then picked up by council in this quarter reports, subsequently by the auditor general, but also thirdly by the public participation that communities, when they pick up such activities, either on the website or anywhere else, they are able to ensure that the processes of procurement are clear, are fair, are transparent, but also ultimately there are consequences which are being faced in case of any maleficence that might have happened. Thank you very much, Honorable Speaker. Uh, thank you. Honorable Mpumza. I think one of the things that is right Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Uh, Deputy Minister, while there is legislation in place to ensure transparency and accountability in the municipal uh, procurement systems, there has been glaring instances uh, which point uh, out that these pieces of legislation are not adhered to and that the state of transparency with, the, with respect to municipal procurement has not improved. The special report of the Auditor General on financial management of government's COVID-19 initiatives raises concerns about unfairness in awarding government business and the lack of transparency to protect against corruption. What is the Deputy Minister going to do to, to take to task those municipalities that still do not publish their tender information or other related procurement information such as deviation and expansions. Thank you. Uh, uh, thank you. Uh, Deputy Minister. Deputy Speaker, thank you very much. Honorable Member Mza, thank you very much for the question. The Department, together with National Treasury, has embarked on the financial management indicators which have already been uh, uh, developed, formed, circulated. They are in a form of circular 88, circulated to all municipalities. And this circular, amongst other things, aims to align the planning, as I've spoken about the IDP earlier on, the reporting instruments, which I've spoken about them, 
including the community and council meetings, into pre pre prescribed set of indicators. And these indicators subsequently for this term of local government, which has just started on the 5th of November, the minister also circulated them to all mayors and all council. But further than them being regulations, earlier on, we have been asking only the municipal manager and the mayor to sign. In what the minister has circulated to councils now, all council members are obliged to sign such indicators that they've seen the report on what will be. The measures themselves as well are open and transparent on how you have awarded the tender, to who you have awarded the tender, the amount that the tender has been advertised and awarded for, and how much has been paid at that particular quarter when the report that is happening. This is in line, Honorable Deputy Speaker, with Section 75 of the Municipal Finance Management Act. National Treasury is a lead department on this, but the prescription and the publication and the application is, is done by both of us to ensure that both these procurement processes are to be enforced and we ensure that all the procurement related prescripts are aligned to. Subsequent to what the Auditor General has picked up, we have given measures and terms, as I have said, in this term, even though it seems of incumbency of the previous councils, all councillors are obliged to sign the report that will be sent to National Treasury, them accounting on what would have happened on those funds. And we do believe no council will say, no councillor will say, I don't know what would have happened about a particular report in a particular matter. Thank, Thank you. you, Speaker. Thank you. Honourable Brink. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. I noticed that the Deputy Minister has not mentioned the district development model once this entire session, which is interesting. But my question, Deputy Minister, given the uh, problems that we have with procurement, and that that's the question, uh, would the Deputy Minister support the leadership taken by the City of Cape Town and other DA-led municipalities to open the bid adjudication committee of municipalities to public observation to achieve transparency. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Deputy Minister. Thank you very much, Honorable Member. I, I often thought English is my second language, but I do understand you have a problem. Integrated planning means collective all government. District development planning, it means one plan, one budget, one government. Integrated planning together. It's semantics, English. But there is a question that is coming subsequently after this that specifically deals with DTM and we'll deal with it. And we'll use the word DTM and we'll have one understanding. You actually are very late city of Cape Town. This, the city of Rustenburg. Bujanala. You, you wait. Chill. You wait. You wait. What has Bulukwane got to do with my answer? You wait. I'm saying you are late. Bujanala appoints, interviews, even their all directors, including the MM in public. They do their accounting and their application of tenders in public. Chill. We all are learning from one another. We all are learning from one another. It shouldn't be a point that is raised in a competitive manner. There are areas and responsibilities which 
other municipalities are best. Steve Chuete is best. My answer is very simple. I have learned, my answer is simple. I have learned from Bujanala municipality. I have learned from Bujanala municipality. Cape Town has also learned from Bujanala municipality. Members. That's why I've learned Bujanala, Rustenburg in the Northwest. Thank you very much. Honorable members, the third uh, supplementary question is asked by Honorable H.O. Kalipi. Thank you very much, uh, Deputy Speaker. Thank you very much, uh, Deputy Minister. Deputy Minister, just yesterday, just yesterday, the Amatole District Municipality, one of the worst-run municipalities in the country, advertised for a position of a mayoral uh, political advisor with remuneration of over 1.6 million, Deputy Minister. You and I can surely determine that this is meaningless position meant to reward comrades who are politically connected with the current mayor of the municipality, Deputy Minister. It is this thing that fuel lack of confidence by public in the local government. Are you going to engage with the municipality to get an indication, to get a clear answer on how did they arrive at such a high remuneration for a position such as the one for a municipality that is almost broke? Thank you very much, Deputy Speaker. Thank you. Honorable Deputy Minister. Thank you very much, uh, Deputy Speaker. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Mkalipi. The, uh, the post was advertised, and the post is closing as per the advert at the end of December. The remuneration, as anticipated, is one million to a bracket of 1,1 million. I'm reading this because this is a report we have sent in a form of a letter requesting the mayor of Amatole District Municipality to explain that. The Honorable Minister Menko Sazanadaminizum is on top of the issue. The advert has not yet even closed. Interviews have not even happened. We will make sure that we find the necessary mechanism on how to resolve this. By the way, Honorable Speaker, Deputy Speaker, Members may know that we, as the department, have taken a lead in developing the municipal guide, which is a handbook to guide the staff establishment for mayors and speakers and chief whips to ensure uniformity, to keep excessive use, but also to ensure that the remuneration is kept in balance at one level. So this answer is not necessarily about Amatole, is in line with the handbook that the minister is championing as well professionalizing local government as a sector. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, Honorable Hrunewald. Thank you, Honorable, you. Honorable members, I just wanted to bring to your attention that this supplementary question and its answer takes us to the end of the day. So uh, proceed, Honorable Hrunewald.
Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Deputy Speaker, Section 116 of the MFMA reads that the municipality must report back to Council on all contracts concluded and report on the performance of such contracts to ensure transparency. Yet municipalities do not comply with the section because councils do not receive these reports. And Honourable Deputy Minister, this includes Bonjanala District Municipality as well as Rustenburg Local Municipality. The Honourable Deputy Minister then must agree that the problem of transparency is the fact that municipalities do not comply with legislation. Legislation put there to protect the public from corruption. What actions will the Deputy Minister take to ensure municipalities do comply and report to Council as per legislation and specifically Section 116 of the MFMA? Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Thank you, Honourable Deputy Minister. Thank you very much, Honourable Speaker. I did indicate, Honourable Member, that uh, we have said in this first term, identifying all key areas that municipalities will have to respond on, which are indicators for compliance, of which Section 116 of the MFMA, which talks about the transparency, application and posting of ensuring that members or of the public are aware of the contracts that have been if municipalities don't place them on their website, don't communicate them, one, the following has happened in a letter signed by the Honorable Minister to all municipal managers and mayors in beginning in this term, that all council members are obligated to sign the report upon receipt of what would have happened on a quarterly basis. Prior that, we used to request as a department only a measure that a mayor and the municipal manage. And these were the gaps which we have identified. In this instance, we are saying it needs to go down to all, if a council of a particular municipality is made up of 30 councillors, including a mayor, all those councillors must sign that particular report. But Section 71 of the MFMA, which National Treasury is also responsible of overseeing on a month-to-month -month basis, is now mandatory for municipalities to submit all those reports in prep up to their quarter basis. So it will not be feasible for the municipality to not be able to meet Section 71, not meet Section 116, and subsequently escape the audit of the Auditor General, who will come and look for all those quarter reports and look for all those advertisements and go through the website to check on a quarterly basis if they have been affected in terms of what the law says. And we do believe that consequences subsequently, if all councillors sign a report that they have not received, then it will not be possible for it to happen. We will make sure that the measures are also sustainable. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much, uh, honourable members. As things would happen, the question time has finished. And therefore, we wish you well today. The House is adjourned. Thank you. Not so fast, Deputy Speaker. Now we play. There are 11 orders on the order paper. Not so fast, not so fast. Not so fast. Set marks. Set marks. Set marks. There are 11 orders. Honorable members, all of you take your seat. Because I realize you really do want to go home. Just hang on. I may have made a mistake, 
which I'm being corrected. This is why the table is here in front of me. Hold on and cool your heels with the greatest of respect. Honorable members, please uh, hold on. Uh, uh, now you have a new presiding officer. I'm going to leave you in peace. Thank you very much. This is where you are. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. We'll take the part. Order. Honorable members, we now come to the first order. The secretary will read the first order. Consideration of budgetary review and recommendation report of Portfolio Committee on Small Business Development. And I will recognize the Honorable the Chief Whip of the Majority Party. Thank you very much, uh, House Chair. House Chair, I move that uh, this report be adopted by the House. Thank you. Thank you, Chief Whip. As has been agreed by all parties, there will be no declaration of votes. On budgets, on budget reports. However, I will allow parties to indicate their objections if they wish to do so. House Chair, could you note the objection of the Democratic Alliance? The motion is that the report be adopted. Are there any objections? Yes, Chairperson, uh, please note the objection of the EFF. Noted. And please note the objection of the AFF Plus. Noted. Objections have been noted. The report is agreed to. Second order. The secretary will read the second order. Consideration of budgetary review and recommendation report of Portfolio Committee on Police on Civilian Secretariat for Police Services, Annual Report and Performance for 2020-2021 Financial Year. Thank you. I now recognize the Honorable the Chief Whip of the Majority Party. Thank you very much, House Chair. I move to that the House adopt this report. Thank you. Thank you. The motion is that the report be adopted. Are there any objections? Yeah, please denote the objection of the EFF Chairperson. Noted. Any other objection? Thank you very much. Leave me alone, The report is agreed to. The secretary will read the third order. Consideration of budgetary review and recommendation report of portfolio committee on police on Independent Police Investigative Directorate, Annual Report and Performance for 2020-2021 Financial Year. Thank you. And I re recognize the Honorable the Chief Whip. Thank you very much, House Chair. I move that the House adopts this report. Next. Are, there, 
Thank you. Are there any objections to that? <laughs> Are there any objections to that? No objections agreed to. Fourth order. Consideration of budgetary review and recommendation report of Portfolio Committee on Police on Private Security Industry Regulatory Authority Annual Report for Performance for 2020-2021 Financial Year. Honorable the Chief Whip, you are recognized. I move that the report be adopted by the House. Thank you, Honorable House Chair. Thank you. Any other objections? Any objections? No objections. Thank you. Report agreed to. The fifth order. Consideration of budgetary review and recommendation report of Portfolio Committee on Police on 2020-2021 annual report of South African Police Service, SAPS. And I'll recognize the Honorable Chief Whip. Thank you, House Chair. I move for adoption of this report. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any objections? Uh, Chairperson, note the objection of the EFF. Objection noted. Otherwise, agreed to. The sixth order. The Secretary will read the sixth order. Consideration of budgetary review and recommendation report of Portfolio Committee on Environment, Forestry and Fisheries. The Honour of the Chief Whip is recognised from the majority party. Thank you very much, House Chair. I move for adoption of this report. Thank you. Are there any objections? House Chair, could you note the objection of the DA? Noted. Any uh, other objection? House Chairperson, please note the objection of the EFF+. Plus. Noted. Noted. Having objected, the report is agreed to. The Secretary will read the seventh order. Consideration of budgetary review and recommendation report of Portfolio Committee on Justice and Correctional Services. I now recognize the Honorable the Chief Whip. Thank you very much, House Chair. I move for adoption of this report. Thank you. Are there any objections, Honorable Members? No objections. Thank you. House Chair, note the objection of the EFF. Okay, noted, Honorable Paulson. Eighth order. The Secretary will read. Consideration of budgetary review and recommendation report of Portfolio Committee on Justice and Correctional Services on Department of Correctional Services. Thank you, Honorable Chief Whip of the Majority Party. Yeah, of Majority Party. Never of Majority. <laughs> Levels. Uh, thank you very much, House Chair. I move that the report be adopted. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any objections? No objections agreed to. The ninth order. The Secretary will read the ninth order. Consideration of budgetary review and recommendation report of Portfolio Committee on Justice and Correctional Services on Office of the Chief Justice and Judicial Administration. Thank you. The Chief from the the Honourable the Chief from the Majority Party. Thank you very much, House Chair. House Chair, I move that the House adopts this report. Thank you. Are there any objections? 
No objections agreed to. The Secretary will read the 10th order. Consideration of budgetary review and recommendation report of Portfolio Committee on Human Settlements, Water and Sanitation, and the annual report of financial statements of the Department of Water and Sanitation and entities. The Honorable the Chief Whip from the Majority Party, you recognized. Thank you very much, House Chair. House Chair, I move that this House adopts the report. Thank you. Are there any objections from the House? Please, could you objection of the Democratic Alliance House Chair. Honorable Professors, ladies first. And the EFF class, please. Thank you. And the EFF uh, Chairperson, please. Okay. Thank you very much, Honorable Members. It is agreed to. Uh, the 11th order, <laughs> the Secretary will read the, the last order of the day. Of the day. Consideration of budgetary review and recommendation report of Portfolio Committee on Basic Education on Performance of Department of Basic Education for 2020-2021. The Honorable the Chief Whip of the Majority Party is recognized. Thank you very much, House Chair. House Chair, I move that this report be adopted by the House. Thank you. Are there any objections to that, Honorable Members? Please note the of the Democratic Alliance House Chair. Noted, Honourable Member. And please note the objection of the EFF Plus. Noted, Honourable Versus. House Chair, please note the objection of the EFF. Thank you, Honourable Members. Having objected to that, it is agreed to. To, oh, I nearly, I nearly said the 12th order. Honourable members, that concludes the business for the day, and the House is adjourned. I'm definitely sure. <laughs>